from West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Support for the legislature today is provided by AARP West Virginia, your ally for real possibilities in the Mountain State. Learn more at aarp.org wv. The Charleston Gazette-Mail, using its CGM app to deliver the latest news, traffic, and weather alerts, keeping you in the know while you're on the go. Lumos Networks, online at lumosnetworks.com. West Virginia University, online at wvu.edu. Orion Strategies, professional public relations, government affairs, creative services, and research and polling, with offices in Charleston, Buchanan, Martinsburg, Pittsburgh, and Columbus. Welcome to the Legislature Today from the Capitol Building. I'm Suzanne Higgins. A long-sought funding formula for higher education will have to wait even longer. We'll be joined by Delegate Paul Espinoza and Delegate Brent Boggs, both members of the Governor's Blue Ribbon Commission on Higher Education. But first, Dave, Dave Mistich, senior reporter, joins me for an update on Dave's so many moving pieces today. We've been in and out listening to the House, to the Senate, to committee hearings, and so let's just go back and forth trying to update as much as we can. Sure. So over in the House today on third reading was a bill that was a DEP rules bundle. Uh, it's been pretty controversial this session. Brittany Patterson, our energy and environment reporter up in Morgantown, has been reporting on this uh, a fair amount this session. There were some 60 updates to human health standards that weaved in and out of the bill through committee, through the Senate, and over in the House. Um, at, at, you know, the, the, the final version of the bill that was up for passage today pulled out that, those updates, those human health standards out of the bill. Uh, we'll take a look, quick look at some of the conversation on the floor today in the House over the DEP rules bundle. Yeah, I would just point out the fact that this is a rules bundle and this is necessary in order to remain the enforcing DEP to remain the forcing agency in the state. So what you're actually doing by voting no on this bill has nothing to do with your disagreement with one of the rules or another. You're uh, forfeiting our right to regulate our state as the DEP. So I would urge adoption of this. There are uh, some of these updates in here that are necessary, but I cannot bring myself to vote for this particular rules bundle because of the way that the rules making process uh, was really dictated by industry when it comes to those water quality standard rules. Um, I take offense to that. I don't think that the best interests and the health and welfare of the citizens of West Virginia were taken uh, into consideration. I think it was more about what industry dictated. Um, and I have a problem with that, so I'm going to have to vote against it. And then, David, over on the Senate side, there was a motion to withdraw House Bill 2730. That's the salary bill. Get it out of committee and onto the floor for consideration. Right. That's right. And that motion, we should point out, did fail on the 16-18 vote. Um, again, these are the teacher pay raises, the average 5% increase for teachers, service personnel, and state police. Um, as we also know, the, the, the Senate has passed a bill just for state police pay raises. Um, I think a lot of people are, are questioning exactly what's going to happen with this teacher pay raise bill. But we'll take a look at some of the action on the Senate floor today on House Bill 2730. 
this is the education pay raise bill that's been uh, laying in the education committee since February the 2nd. And there have been a series of events with you present, the governor and the speaker of the house before the election, before the, uh, the general election, promising teachers a 5% pay raise. This is simply trying to live up to that promise, bringing that bill down to the floor, and let's give the teachers the pay raise they, they so deserve. Back in January, our governor stood up in the state of the state address and promised this to the teachers. And he didn't promise it with any strings attached or anything like that. He promised this. Now, as the government, we have a responsibility to our citizens that when we tell them something, that we do it. Now, we might not like the way that this is going to come out or not going to come out, but that's not the issue. The issue is a promise that was made to our educators. It was simple. It wasn't complicated. It was a simple promise of a 5% raise. We have the responsibility to live up to the promises that are made. And Dave, that motion was made, of course, as the Senate starts to take up their, their budget bill. And um, as has, we've seen in the House, um, this is a time for uh, last-minute amendments to the very, very big bill. That's right, and they, they took up a couple today. They kind of got stuck on this one, uh, this one, this one question. Uh, you know, Senator Roman Prezioso was was asking questions of of Senate Finance Chair uh, Craig Blair. Uh, particularly, they, the two of them got into discussion over the constitutionality of voting on an amendment that would make cause for an unbalanced budget, uh, particularly dealing with general revenue. Uh, we'll take a quick look at this, the, the action on the Senate floor uh, over Senate Bill 150, some amendments to the budget bill, and we'll take a look and listen to that right here. The reason that we can't use that $16 million that you're talking about, we've used that. It's reflective of the bills that has passed this body, and that's how we're down to zero, and we don't have those resources to be able to do that. It wouldn't create a deficit. You know, as I look down the differences between the House budget, which is on second reading, and the Senate budget, which is on third reading, there, there are many differences. I mean, included in the House budget is the teacher pay raise, not included in the Senate budget. Included in the, in the uh, Senate budget is $110 million for Randy's dream. Yeah, well, let's stay focused on the, the Senate budget. I understand that, but this, all, this is going to reflect in the Senate budget. We haven't met the governor's revenue estimates. We're short $69 million. Therefore, by adding these programs, which are not high-dollar programs, you're talking about you know, 250000 300000 You're probably not talking about a million dollars total is, is, will be negotiated in the conferees process. The, the numbers don't, the, 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 it doesn't make any difference what the number is. It could actually be $5 and, it, and it's not going to change this. If it, these amendments were placed in surplus, we could do it. They're not being placed in surplus, they're being placed in the budget We could bill. change that during the, can, can we not change that during the conferees pro, uh, process? I don't have the answer to that question. One moment. Senator Prezioso was uh, arguing for or, or supporting a, an amendment that would have, um, that was asking for $350,000 for the Center for End of Life Care 
and also $250,000 for the cardiac program. And that's where they, they stopped the process on the budget, and they're going to be taking that up later this evening when they go back into session. But some of the amendments uh, that were proposed and did pass in the Senate today uh, was one proposed by Senator uh, Stephen Baldwin, and he was successful in getting $400,000 for uh, maintaining an early warning stream gauge system for flooding, um, and also $5 million for uh, veterans nursing homes, in, uh, a nursing home in Southern West Virginia for veterans. And also, real quickly, an amendment uh, by uh, Senator Woeful and Senator Plymel that um, uh, additional funding, $125,000, they were successful uh, to uh, amending the budget bill. This would be for uh, a sexual assault consulting uh, services, a statewide program. And of course, these now need to be worked out with the House, That's right. probably, no doubt, in conferees. Um, over in the, in the uh, House, Dave, there was discussion, debate about uh, Senate Bill 1. That's right. And that's, of course, the last dollar in community and technical college grant program. Just to remind everyone, uh, a, a version of this bill passed the Senate last year, was never taken up by the House. Uh, this year it is on the floor and was on second reading today. A couple amendments adopted here. Uh, you know, one was a technical amendment from uh, House Education Chair Danny Hamrick, another from Delegate Phil Desario, uh, a Democrat, um, which I believe was an amendment offered in the Senate but, but failed, uh, but this would encourage some collaborations between CTCs and a, a federally registered apprenticeship programs. Uh, Delegate um, Jim Butler, uh, a Republican, also offered a, a series of amendments today that failed. We'll take a quick look at uh, some of the uh, amendments that he spoke to on the floor today. It's only been a couple years since we had a serious budget deficit in trying to figure out how to make things work, and I think that what we're doing here, if we don't have a means test for this, we're, we're taking valuable, valuable resources from the taxpayers of West Virginia from our general revenue fund and putting it toward people to educate people who could afford to do it themselves. The point of education or anything that you do is that you appreciate the things that you work for. And by giving things away, we devalue them. So for all those reasons, I think that we need to have a, uh, people need to have skin in the game. We've all heard that term. So I think that we need to means test this. And uh, I request the yeas and nays, Mr. Speaker. And of course, Suzanne, Senate Bill 1, now that it's passed second reading, will be on up for a final vote tomorrow uh, and on third reading. Of course, at this point, bill's moving very quickly all over the place, um, but that bill up for a final vote tomorrow. All right, and um, also on the, on the House side, House Finance, they just uh, broke just moments ago. They're considering 522, which uh, has been dubbed Randy's Dream, and that is the special um, secondary road fund. It would allocate $110 million from general revenue for this uh, particular fund, and uh, every, every county getting at least a million dollars for their local projects. And um, while they are, they, they actually broke, took a break in the middle of debating that uh, bill. Uh, we spoke to Senator Smith, the uh, sponsor of that bill, just earlier today about the importance of it. Well, I think they'd be crazy not to pass it, the condition the roads are in, and as important this is to our citizens in West Virginia, because everywhere you go, 
people are talking about the roads. You know, if I go to the store to get a gallon of milk, it takes me two hours because people are, you know, complaining about the roads. And right now, this is the most, the biggest problem we have in the state and the most publicized problem we have in the state is the roads. It's killing our tourism. It, you know, it's hurting our county uh, education budgets because school bus maintenance is in some counties is tripling because of, you know, uh, busted shocks, busted tires, springs, you know, uh, a a-frames, you know, you know, axles, and it's uh, elevated the uh, county school budgets because of maintenance. So, it's a, it's a big deal. And both the House and Senate are in evening sessions this evening. We'll be back in just a moment. Public broadcasting does a wonderful job of presenting the facts behind a story and then um, really showcasing both sides of an issue, finding people who have experiences sort of pro and con on an issue, finding people who have different perspectives on, on the same issue. Uh, I can't stand people shouting at me. I like to make up my own mind, and that's where public broadcasting is awesome, because the facts are there and I can decide what I want to believe. When you consider the geography of West Virginia, if you live in Wheeling, you may not know something that happened in Charleston or vice versa, something that could directly affect your life. Having a statewide source of information makes us all informed. We're all able to fulfill our responsibilities as American and West Virginia citizens. Your sustaining gift helps protect West Virginia public broadcasting. The Governor's Blue Ribbon Commission on Higher Education was to report in December a recommendation on a funding formula for the state's four-year colleges and universities and also evaluate the scope and authority of the Higher Education Policy Commission. Joining us for an update are members of the Commission, Delegate Paul Espinoza of Jefferson County and Delegate Brent Boggs of, Buck of Braxton County. Thank you both for joining me tonight. Thank Good to be you. with you. Thank you. I mean, the, the, the commission is only about a half a year old, but, uh, you know, there's just been so much uh, activity and ups and downs, um, expectations. Let, let's first just start to uh, uh, kind of bring us to the point of why, what brought us to the point of needing the governor um, uh, assembling a Blue Ribbon Commission? Delegate Espinoza. Well, you may recall back in 2017, the legislature enacted uh, several pieces of higher education reform. Uh, one of them, uh, House Bill 2815, directed the Higher Education Policy Commission to develop a funding formula uh, to report back to the legislature with some ideas as to how we might uh, fund our institutions. It was really a revelation to me when I was first elected to the legislature back in 2013 that we didn't have a funding formula. Uh, there was really no rhyme or reason to how colleges were funded, and so that's certainly been of interest to mine. And I am pleased that uh, the governor, after appointing the Blue Ribbon Commission, uh, the Blue Ribbon Commission took that uh, issue very seriously and while we have not yet taken on the, the full task of developing a formula, I was pleased that the Blue Ribbon Commission has adopted a recommendation to try to close the gap between some of our lowest funded uh, schools on a per capita basis and our highest funded schools. And I'm speaking specifically of our regional institutions. And um, I'm pleased that we're you know, seeing an effort this, uh, this session through our budget to adopt some of those funding recommendations of the uh, Blue Ribbon Commission. You did recommend, even before session, that the governor 
um, allocate $10 million for that kind of, uh, that kind of assistance, especially for the, the smaller schools. That was not put in his budget, uh, Delegate Boggs. What, how, how did you read that as a member of the commission, that the governor did not fold in your recommendation? Well, first of all, uh, the recommendations that came from the committee, uh, we certainly, as non-voting legislative members, we had input, but we didn't have a direct vote on the committee when it came to crafting the, the final product that came out. So when the money was not there, I think there was some concerns. However, I think that the, the House, and I have to give uh, uh, our House uh, Finance Chairman credit because he took the initiative along with all of us, took the initiative to make sure that we did find room in the budget for the $10 million, and we allocated it somewhat differently than what the uh, Gilbert Plan or the Marshall Plan was, which I don't, I think is much more palatable to many of the regional institutions You'll than the previous one. You'll have to update us on that, the, 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 the Marshall Plan, the, yes. the Gilbert Plan. And that, was, and that was one that basically uh, one of the co-chairs of the, of the committee, uh, President Gilbert from Marshall, uh, came up with a, with a plan to allocate the $10 million. Uh, some schools certainly were, were uh, fared better in that than others. Um, there was some different factors that, that came into play. I know uh, my colleague Paul and I uh, had a little bit of difference on how it needs to be uh, allocated simply because there's, and this is, this is me speaking, but some of our schools, more rural schools, especially in southern West Virginia and central West Virginia like Glenville, we have a lot of factors that maybe aren't the same as for WVU or for Shepherd or for, or for Marshall. So, um, you know, we need to make sure that we keep access to higher education alive for everyone across the state, not just for selected regions. I, I think you're, you're talking about the House bill, of course, that you, or the House budget that you just passed this weekend. Right. Uh, the House budget, um, allocates 15,000 or excuse me 15 million from from the surplus for what you're talking about we we do it's it's 10 million I believe in the budget and then there's there's additional money additional. in the surplus section of the budget uh, at, at the end of the fiscal year so I think that it's uh, I, I think it's a start because we certainly have gone back as a, as a legislature and I think we've all had fallen into that category, whether it's been either party that's in, in control. We've tended to go after higher education as sometimes a low-hanging fruit when there's been money that needed to be had for other areas of the budget. I think now we're starting to recognize that probably was a mistake and we need to go back and try to repair that and make sure that we put education, higher education, as one of our highest priorities. It's one of the highest priorities, but I'm going to assume that <clears throat> the task is probably extremely politically charged as well. Um, we've got advocates for this school, advocates for that school. You're trying to get together what is fair. Um, Delegate Espinoza, why, why have there been such delays in agreeing on a funding formula? Well, uh, I, think, I think you've hit the nail on the head. I, I've, naturally, uh, 
I think legislators are going to advocate for what's in the best interest of their uh, uh, regional institutions. But I am pleased that the uh, Blue Ribbon Commission uh, initially took a look at the Marshall Plan that was put forth by Dr. Gilbert from Marshall. They ultimately adopted what was known as the Recalibration Plan. And again, it was a $10 million plan dealing with our four-year institutions to again, just try to close the gap between per capita funding. There's, a, there's currently about a $4,000 uh, differential between the lowest uh, funded institution on a per capita basis and the highest. I think the, um, the recalibration pr plan that was adopted by the Blue Room Commission closes the gap considerably between the lowest and highest funded. Uh, you mentioned the $15 million figure uh, in addition to adopting uh, fairly closely the recalibration plan for our four-year institutions. House Finance in our budget, we did include roughly $5 million to, to take a similar approach for our two-year institutions because again, about a $4,000 per student uh, gap between the lowest funded two-year institution and our highest institution, so we've taken a similar approach there. You had asked a question earlier about uh, why was the funding not included in the governor's original budget. The feedback that I heard is that in addition to the funding issue, uh, certainly there were institutions uh, and the governor uh, very interested in uh, governance uh, reform as well. Taking a look specifically at the HEPC and what role that it plays. There was a, a, a very uh, large uh, proposed bill that came uh, that was really introduced I guess in the Blue Ribbon Commission fairly late in the process. We only got it here in the legislature within the last few weeks. Uh, we weren't really able to I think spend the amount of time necessary on that uh, a, roughly a 300 page bill but uh, Senate Bill 673 has passed out of the Senate. Uh, it uh, just passed out of uh, House Education. It was on first reading today. That does begin uh, some additional reform of uh, what role the HEPC has. And specifically, it addresses the question that uh, I hear a lot of uh, concern about is, you know, what, what level of reporting should our higher education institutions be required to, uh, to submit to the HEPC? And to what extent can the HEPC rely on other existing sources of information rather than uh, having duplicative reporting requirements by our higher education institutions. So I think now that we've addressed that, I'm hopeful that the governor will uh, see fit to approve the additional funding for our higher education institutions uh, in our final budget. Delegate Boggs, um, Delegate Espinosa um, talked the per capita funding uh, view. You've said, and I want you to elaborate on that a little bit, you've said that there are other things that must be considered. Well, I think you have to, uh, you have to look at, at many things. Uh, I think the formula that was developed uh, didn't necessarily take into account um, the number of promised scholars, the number of out-of-state students, the, the, uh, the, the, the first-time students. And I think that's very important. When we're in a state that has the lowest college-going rate and the lowest graduation rate to receive degrees, I think we need to be very, very careful, and sometimes it may cost a smaller, more rural institution. It may not cost the same amount to uh, 
do a program or, or offer the services than it would maybe if you had better economies of scale. But I think the one thing that we have to remember, there's many places in the state that if, if a college or university would, would go away, there's a very good possibility that many of the students that it serves will not necessarily just, well, they'll go somewhere else. There may be many that will be deprived of the opportunity and not go at all. And I wanted to also mention one thing that, that um, my colleague brought up as well. When we did include funding for the uh, community and technical colleges, the two years, uh, they were not included in the governor's uh, commission and I think some of us requested that they be included because I think they are certainly an integral part of all of our higher education workings. The governor chose not to include that but I think as we move forward since the commission is still technically uh, hasn't issued their final report and there's some loose ends to tie up, I believe that we have to also take those into account as well because higher education doesn't necessarily mean to me, it doesn't necessarily mean four years. It could be two years, it could be a certificate, anything that's going to better the opportunities for our citizens to have gainful employment. And in the moment that we have left, and we really only have a moment, sure. the second charge, of course, is the the future of the Higher Education Policy right. Commission, the authority, the scope, its, 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 its place. Your well, views I, on that. I, I, I agree with my colleague that, it, that the funding formula has to go beyond any single measure. I do believe if we're, if we're able to enact uh, Senate Bill 673 that, again, provides some re reporting relief to our higher education institutions, if we're able to uh, adopt a budget that does, in fact, close the gap between the institutions, uh, I'm certainly looking forward to uh, seeing the Blue Ribbon Commission continue the work, as they've pledged to do, to develop a funding formula that hopefully all the institutions can support. All right, we'll have to leave it at that. Delegate Paul Espinoza of uh, Jefferson County and Delegate Brent Boggs of Braxton County. Thank you both for being here this evening. Thank you. Thank you, really Thank you very much. Really appreciate it. I'm Suzanne Higgins. For everyone here at West Virginia Public Broadcasting, thanks for joining us this evening. Have a great night.